live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York. It's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is the man who spent 11 seasons in the big leagues, played over 1,200 games for the New York Yankees, San Diego Padres, Minnesota Twins, Baltimore Orioles, and Texas Rangers. He also spent some time in the Nippon Professional Baseball League. He served as a hitting coach for the Indianapolis Indians, the AAA affiliate of the Pittsburgh Pirates, as well as the Miami Marlins. This month, he became one of the newest members of the New York Baseball Hall of Fame. It is a pleasure to welcome the man they call Pags, the one and only Mike Pagliarulo, to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So let's go back to the beginning. You were a two-sport star at Medford High School in soccer and baseball. And even though you were a standout in baseball, you had a lot more attention on the soccer side as opposed to baseball. What went into the choice to go to the University of Miami and play baseball as opposed to all the other offers you got for soccer? Well, actually, I wanted to play football, but my dad wouldn't let me. So uh, he said, you're playing soccer. So I played soccer like football. And um, he said, anytime the ball's loose in front of that net, the ball and everybody else can go in. It's just still get a goal. So that's what I did. I knocked everybody in the goal. So I had, but there was plenty of schools around here in Boston that wanted me to play soccer. And you know, soccer was a good sport. I wasn't passionate about it like, a, like I am baseball. And there weren't many baseball schools interested, not many baseball schools in New England. Um, and, and the ones that were here, you know, they, they had their guys, I guess. And so I went down, I went and looked at uh, some schools. I applied to, you know, schools like USC, Arizona, Arizona State, Florida, Florida State, Miami. And then went down to Miami, saw the campus. Talked to Ron Frazier, the great Ron Frazier, and uh, Skip Bertman, and, um, and I was convinced. And so they they had some scouts look at me up here and gave me a scholarship. So I was fortunate to go play there, and that was the beginning for me. Uh, you mentioned Ron Frazier. You go on to play third base for, for Coach Ron Frazier's Hurricanes from 1979 to 1981, hitting 315, 176 career games. And you're a huge part of that 1981 squad that set school records for wins, winning percentage, attendance. You hit 304 that season, six home runs, 40 runs batted in. It's hard to believe that it's been 29 years since you know Ron Frazier coached his last game there at Miami. Um what did you learn from the man known as the wizard of college baseball, who was one of the most successful coaches in NCAA best baseball history? Well, you know, I, what, what I love most about both of our coaches, uh, not just Ron Frazier, who, by the way, the Yankees, and he had a relationship with the Yankees. I'm sure the Yankees wanted to hire him at, at some point, but he had ties all in Miami and Florida. Um, you know, our coaches didn't try to teach us anything that they didn't know. Um, and what, what they did was they had like pro players work out before our practice and we go and talk to them. And then we played the Orioles every year. And I'll, I'll never forget, we played the Orioles and it was a little nerve wracking, you know, and, and I was having trouble my first year with that bunt play. And, and, and Ron Frazier said, he said, Hey, Pegs, go, go talk to that guy over there. He'll help you out. I went over to him and I said, Mr. Robinson, how you doing? <laughs> I'm Brooks Robinson. I'm talking to and, and it's funny in one minute, he taught me how to make the bunt play and how to practice it. And I mean, just the knowledge that they had was far exceeds everybody else that I had spoken with before that. And, you know, they, what I liked about uh, Ron Frazier, he, he let us play. He, 
he, um, you know, he, he wanted us hustling on and off the field all the time. So and we, he wanted a fast team, exciting team. And that's what he put on the field. But, you know, they didn't they stayed away from trying to teach us these some of the things that are out there today. Some of these crazy gimmicks and all they just they stick with baseball and had the had the pros teach us. And um, and it helped all of us. We had to, I think my last year there we had 10 guys drafted off the team um, my junior year. And, you know, it was a great experience. I loved it pretty good resource when you can walk over to Brooks Robinson and ask him how to you know, <laughs> feel the bunt, not, not too shabby. So you also played in, in maybe one of AJ and my favorite leagues, the Cape Cod league. And, and you played for one of those baseball lifers that many people might not have ever heard of, but can you tell our audience about your time with the man who actually was part of the first induction class of the Cape Cod baseball hall of fame. And that's Ed Lyons. What, what can you tell us about Ed? Ed Lyons was great. You know, he was a lot like uh, Ron Frazier, actually, uh, both New Jersey guys. And, uh, and they, he let us play and, he, you know, he expected us to play hard, which we did. And we actually won that. Uh, we won that league in the, that summer. And um, Chatham, the Chatham A's, it was, it was a great team, a great city. And uh, I had gotten there late. Um, I'd gotten there late because we were in the College World Series. So when you get there late, you had to, you know, you had to get a job. And so my job was it was, it was working for the city and I was cleaning out sores and we'd work on a highway. It was, wasn't, it wasn't the greatest job, but you know, today they don't even need to work, but, uh, but it was a tremendous experience. Cape Cod was beautiful. Chatham, Chatham was a, is a great, great place to, to visit and vacation and, and live. And, you know, and it was, it was wonderful. I mean, I had a, a really nice experience there, uh, but Eddie Lyons, he was a good guy and he knew his baseball, you know, and uh, you know, he was, he was hard, but he was, he was fair. He was, you know, he was a good guy. He, he, he was aware of everything, you know, the good managers, they, they see everything, you know, good managers can see the field better than others. And, you know, they know what's going on everywhere. And that's what Eddie Lyons was. He was uh, a good man. He treated me well. So you're drafted by the New York Yankees in the sixth round of the 1981 Major League Baseball draft, the same draft that the Yankees took John Elway, who AJ actually saw play we'll in, Atlanta, <laughs> in the second round and Fred McGriff in the ninth round. What do you recall about draft day and what is it like for a Massachusetts guy to be drafted by the hated New York Yankees? Well, it, it, it. You know, I mean, growing up in Boston, uh, I mean, the exposure that the teams have today, you're 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 allowed to see everyone, and and uh, you can be a fan of almost anyone. But uh, you know, there wasn't that much exposure back then. So, of course, I was a Red Sox fan. Uh, but there were uh, five reasons why uh, why I, I didn't like them after the draft, and that was round one, round two, round three. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and and you know, and then when I joined the, the organization, I was so surprised at how professional. Uh, the, the Yankees were how, um, you know, how, how their expectations uh, were, were set high. And, they, you know, it was, it was about playing well and winning at, at every place you played. And it was it was very competitive. You know, we had excellent coaches. There was a, there was a former major league uh, player at, at every at every stop of the way at every team. And that's important. I thought I think in part of development. And um, and and I think it was it was I was so happy that I was drafted by them. And, and then as the years went on, I was. You know, there was no doubt in my mind it was it was a perfect situation for me. So um, I was very satisfied with it. And, uh, you know, the great Fred Ferreira, who drafted many, many guys, uh, you know, he, he drafted me and, um, you know, came to my house and it was uh, it was a done deal. So I wanted to play for New York. 
So it's interesting you mentioned about once you got there and you saw that they're all about winning. Um, you make your way up the minor league ladder stops in Oneonta, Greensboro, Nashville, Columbus championships. Those first two years in Oneonta and Greensboro, a semifinal in your fourth year. Um, you mentioned the the you know, a, a former major leaguer at every coaching position, whether it be hitting first base, third base, who was the most influential of those coaches that got you prepared for that next step for the majors? It would have to be Joe Pepitone actually. And, and he was kind of a Rover And And the reason why I say that is because I mean, I, in college, I, I was a switch hitter in my first year of pro ball in Oneonta, I switch hit. And so it was in spring training, my first spring training in 1982. And I was there early in the morning and, and, and Pepe comes walking out and uh, I said, hey, Pepe. And I had seen, he was with me the year before a little bit in Oneonta. And I said, hey, Pepe, I said, uh, let me ask you something. I said, I got all these all-stars and MVPs at third base ahead of me. I said, how do I jump over these guys? <laughs> I said, I want to play, I want to play in the big leagues. I said, but you know, I'm not, you know, this year I want to be the best I could be here. He said, uh, uh, and it was so, so clear. He said, you ever see Yankee Stadium? And I said, uh, no, I, I haven't. He said, all right, stop switch hitting. He said, stay left-handed. I'll show you how to pull the ball and pull the ball the right way. He goes, and uh, and you show some power? And he goes, you jump over all of them. And, and I said, really? He said, so that day I stopped switch hitting. And I, 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 I hit that year in Greensboro, led the team in homers. Nashville led the team in homers and jumped over all of them. And that was the plan. So uh, it was a good plan, too. <laughs> so it helped me get to the big leagues. And, um, you know, so he was probably the most influential in the minor league level. I mean, Mickey Vernon was was, uh, you know, he was great. Also, he was in AAA. And, you know, even we had Hoyt Wilhelm was a pitching coach in the A. So we had guys all, all over the place. Um, you know, Mike Ferrara, he was he came down in Oneonta. I think there was a year the man had a strike or something and uh, the arrows drafted. But it was. Uh, you know, that, that was the development. And, uh, but, but the development, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we weren't thinking about, you know, getting ahead up, moving up that year. We wanted, we play the rules where you play here, play to win and, and, and play well. And then we'll talk about next year. So, so, you know, I didn't think about, you know, when I was in single, a, I didn't think about going to double A or triple A or anything like that. We just played it one year at a time. So I remember seeing that was 1982 team that had Elway on it in Oneonta. And I, that year I did a whole minor league tour of upstate New York. I actually wrote about it in, in Newsday for Newsday Sunday Magazine. And as I remember, at least the Oneonta team, that it was loaded with college players as opposed to kids drafted out of high school. Right. So how different was that from playing in the Cape Cod League, which also had college players? What was the competition like? How different was it? Uh, well, it was it was very similar, actually, only – more competitive, they were better college players. Um, you know, in Cape Cod, it was great because every every team in Cape Cod had one or two major leaguers on it. I remember playing Katuit with Ronnie Darling and Tim Tuffle, you know, and, and you know, we just had you know other players on other other ball clubs that would do uh, major leaguers. So um, you know, so so when we when we get drafted, we knew it was a college team basically, but they were the best college players in the draft that the Yankees had, and so it was it was very competitive. Um uh, at that level. And, and, you know, we kicked everybody's butt that year. <laughs> it was competitive amongst ourselves, which was good. You, you need to have that, you know, uh, no, nobody could just, you know, say, this is my job. I'll just, you know, I'm, I'm playing, you know, every day, no matter what you had to, you know, had to earn it. And that was, uh, that was all right with me. So it was, it was so, fun. It was a lot of fun and very competitive. So you make your, your debut in the majors Saturday, July 7th, 1984 in the Metrodome, getting your first at bat in the top of the second inning. What do you recall about that first at bat and everything surrounding, you know, it, the, the first major league game? 
uh, not a whole lot. It was it was a little pretty nerve wracking. I mean, you know, Rick Cerrone, he was on the club. He says, "Hey, can you spit yet?" <laughs> you know, and, and I was a little a little quite nervous. But uh, but I got up there and, and I just said, "You know, I'm here. I'm I'm swinging." <laughs> you know, they throw it in there. I'm swinging. That's all that was on my mind. So you know, I didn't come up here to take pitches. <laughs> so you know, I got to show them what I could do. And, and uh, John Butcher was the pitcher. And you know, the second pitcher, you got a base hit, and I end up getting a couple more hits that game. And and then, uh, you know, I played well for that week. And uh, next thing you know, they traded Royce Molly after that. So I knew I'd, I'd be there for a while. So at least for that year anyway. And, uh, you know, I just tried to improve and, and get acclimated to the, the, the other players on the team, to the league. And um, uh, you make myself a better player. So the manager is Yogi Berra. Um, during that season also, there's that epic, you know, batting title run between Dave Winfield and Don Mattingly, the teammates. Um, also, the first month you show up to the majors, you come to your locker, and there's Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Yogi Berra, and other Yankees hanging around your locker talking because it was old-timers day. What what are your, your biggest takeaways from that first season? Well, there were there were an awful lot actually. Uh, I remember, I remember. Uh, uh, I think it was after about when I get when we get off that road trip, we're in Minnesota, and I get back, and it was a it was a, an envelope in my locker, and um, I'm like, what the heck's this? And so I open up the the, the envelope, and it was like eight thousand dollars. I'm like, oh my god, what the, what's all this money? Eight thousand dollars. I said, this is crazy. You know, where did I get this money from? You know, I didn't know that they were paying me uh, major league money now. And so, and I, I felt terrible after that, you know, after the game, I was thinking about it during the game. And after the game, I, I called up to the front office. I said, look, do never, never send me another check, please. Cause I don't want to think about this when I'm playing. <laughs> Just tell them, what are you talking about? They said, what use your salary? I said, well, send it to the bank or something. I can't, I can't, I don't want to look at it. So that was, that was a little strange for me, but uh, you know, the, the people that I met and the relationships that I made, uh were were so good and um you know it's funny when i when i get into coaching when i get done playing my kids went to college and everything i want uh for one of the first things that uh the, the kids asked me they said hey pegs wouldn't you rather be playing today with all the money they're giving out and, and i and i thought about it for about three seconds and i said you know not really i said i said i wouldn't have made the relationships that i made i wouldn't have learned what i've learned from them uh, you know from guys like lou Pinella. I mean, he, he was, he was so good at, you know, and, and I, I played for five, I played for five managers, uh, for, for five managers that managed major, uh, managed world series champions. So, you know, Billy Martin and Lupin, Tom Kelly, you know, Dallas Green, uh, Jack McKeon, you know, and Yogi, I mean, the knowledge that they had was incredible. And, and so, you know, it rubs off <laughs> and you just watch and you learn many times. You don't say a thing you just look around and, and you learn from experience. Um, and then when you can actually play, and, and, you know, get into some real good conversation about, you know, technique and all this other stuff about, about what it's like at that level, because that's really it's it's far away from AAA. It's not that it's not that close. It's uh, it's a big jump. And, um, yeah, they're the best players in the world up there. And it's really the only the only time and place you can learn things is, is up there. You can develop all you want, but you still have to make an adjustment. And, you know, having those people around made it a lot easier. Uh, it would have been more difficult, I think, in any other organization. But, you know, the Yankees were stacked with, with, with talent, but also coaches, um, you know, and plenty of knowledge and experience that could, you know, all you got to do is turn your head and you, you run into someone that has something to say good, you know, so you can get answers if you want them. You know, you mentioned the managers you played for. By 1985, Yogi Bear was replaced by Billy Martin. And Billy had quite a history with the Yankees. You know, how many had four stints with them? Hey, it's not the unusual every now and then. 
So one of those happened on September 18th, 1985, when he told you to bat right-handed, I guess for the first time in a long time, against lefty Mickey Malik. Can you tell us how that all came about and your reaction to, the, to that at bat? Yeah, well, actually, I told you some of it that came about, and this is what a lot of people don't know, is I was a switch hitter. And so two weeks before that day, uh, we, we were having a, uh, a simulated game on the field. And uh, I think it was Marty Bystrom was, uh, was, was throwing a simulated game. And so, so I was out on the field early, and the other hitter was a Scott Bradley who was left it. They, seen, they said, we need a right-hand hitter. I said, I'll hit. They said, no, no, this is serious. It's a simulated game. I said, no, no, I'll, I'll hit. I hit right-handed before. <laughs> and they're like, all right, we'll give it a shot. So, so I got up there. My first about I grounded out, and then, and then I hit like a, a, a fly ball to right field. Then I got a base hit, then I hit a double in all right, right center, right field. And so at that time, Billy comes walking on the dugout. He goes, what the heck are you doing? He goes, you should be switch hit. And I said, no, Billy, I said, this is, this is left-handed, just more comfortable for me, and I've, I've worked on this real hard. You know what I mean? I hit right-handed, but that was from college. I haven't done it in years, so. Um, you know, in, in that game, you know, the reason why uh, the, the decision was made, you know, they wanted me in the in the lineup to play defense because it was a tie game and uh, he didn't want to take me out of the game. So it was either get up there and face face Mickey Mailer again, who in the wintertime, I owned him, <laughs> you know, that, I killed him in the wintertime. So in this this game, I had struck out a couple of times. Bill was like, switch around right handed. If you don't, you're coming out of the game. And I'm like, I don't want to come out of the game. So I just stayed up right handed. But I, it was, you know, I had a brain freeze or whatever. It was just a shock. You know, it was, it was I just wasn't prepared, you know. Preparation is everything in baseball. And, and so if you're not prepared, you know, you're not going to succeed. But not very good at that. It wasn't a very good at bat, but but I understood the reasoning behind it, and it wasn't a bad thought actually. You know what I mean? If I could have just practiced day or something, it, it would have been a great surprise. <laughs> it would have shocked the hell out of the Tigers. I know that. <laughs> so it's interesting. You mentioned before about Joe Pepitone and, and looking at the guys up at the the big league team and and the advice he gave you. Um, from 1973 to 1983, Craig Nettles was the Yankees' third baseman. He's traded in the off season to the Padres. You mentioned, you know, Smalley, Toby Hara, you know, split time. They trade away Roy Smalley. How much pressure was it, you know, kind of then becoming the everyday third baseman, replacing a guy who was one of the, the keys to the Yankees, you know, mid to, you know, end of the 70s dominance in, in Nettles? Well, I, I spent one, my first spring training when I got put on the roster, I was able to hang around a little bit and, you know, I didn't say too much, but, you know, I was taking grounders with nettles and everything. And, and he's such a good guy and he treated me so well. And I mean, it could have been the other way around too, you know, but I didn't say, you know, I didn't say too much, you know, he's a great pro. And, you know, I, today I, I still talk to him, you know, we did this event, I think it was about a, a year or two ago uh, in, New, in New York and, you know, he's just a good pro and, and, and he had, he actually helped me a lot uh, at, at third base. Cause I had questions, you know, I'm, I'm a little rough around the edges and I was just taking as many grounders as I could, but, you know, having him there and, and Cleet Boyer there, I mean, how, how could you lose? <laughs> I mean, you, you're going to learn something. And, and even though our styles were a little bit different, uh, you know, he helped a lot about how you, you know, you know, how you play the game, you know, late in the game and, you know, certain tactical uh, situation you want to be in or certain hitters, certain types of things. And then he also talked about the Yankee stadium, um, you know, playing at Yankee Stadium and stuff. The difficult thing was when I went to Yankee Stadium, and so if, if there was an error, I kicked the ball or something like that, it was, boo, nettles, bring back nettles every single time the first year or two. But uh, but that's expected. You know what I mean? That's in New York. And that, that stuff is that's part of the game. But uh, that didn't bother me too much. 
you know, because he was a good guy, and I just wanted to represent, you know, as good as as good as they could, and uh, you know, and that was it. It's interesting because just like Nettles, you're traded by the Yankees to the same team that he was traded to the Padres after a year and a half in San Diego, you're a free agent. And the interest at that time comes from the Yankees, the Rangers, the Pirates, and Twins. So what went into the decision to sign with the Twins? You know, that was the uh, – San Diego, it wasn't a – you know, San Diego was a beautiful place, but the organization was – I think it was in a mess or something. Uh, you know, and I said, you know, I'm, I need to find out where the heck I'm going. So that was the first time I had gone to the winter meetings, by, and I went by myself. I think it was in Kentucky somewhere, Louisville or – uh, Lexington, I'm not sure, but um, and, and I and all I want to do was talk to a couple managers to see what they wanted to do during the offseason. You know, guys that I respected, you know, Lou Pinella, Tony LaRusso, Tom uh, Kelly, and stuff like that. And so, so I went and I had a conversation with you know a number of people, and I would just spend a day there. But uh, but I talked to uh, Tom Kelly for a while, and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, I just want to get myself in a situation where I'm challenged every day, you know, and, and I can, I can, you know, play it and, and, and practice and, and make myself as good as I can be. Cause I, I can play it. I get a lot of game left in me and all this other stuff. And so he, said, he thought, he thought about it. And a couple of weeks after that, I got a phone call. <laughs> they traded Gaetti and uh, to, to the angels, I guess. And, and so I got a phone call and that was that. <laughs> you want to play in Minnesota? Sure. <laughs> Let's do it. And I didn't realize they were in last place the year before um, but that was a, you know, that was a different team. It was a different kind of team a different makeup. And that's, you know, give Andy McPhail a lot of credit. He, you know, he brought some personalities in that, that, uh, that were able to challenge each other and, and, you know, had the same focus. And that's really what the whole thing was. We didn't have the most talent, but we, we definitely had the best team. And it was really a common vision that everybody had. And that common vision was, was winning, winning the whole thing. Uh, and the choice pays off because you do win the, the, the whole thing. It's your only postseason appearance, um, and it ends in a World Series championship. You had the starting third baseman, 91. You had a great postseason hitting over 300. That World Series ended in a walk-off in a Game 7 in extra innings. What was your vantage point, and what did you see when Gene Larkin pinch hits for Jarvis Brown with the bases loaded and one out in the bottom of the 10th in a nothing-nothing Game 7? Well, less than two hours. I I knew Gino was going to do something good. Uh, I just had the feeling because it was um, the pitcher was a fastball pitcher. Gino could hit a fastball, so um, I was just you know it was an inning before that. I wanted to get it. <laughs> I was I was up there and, I, and with, a, with a shot with first base open or something, and, and I please <laughs> they walked me and I said no. I said throw me a strike, just one, give me one shot, and I didn't want to do that. But uh, but it was a great. It was a great, very loud in the Metrodome. <laughs> you know, you couldn't hear the person next to you, really. But it was, um, I, I, I just felt like he was going to do something. And put the bat on a ball, put it in play. And, um, you know, with Danny Gladden could score. Uh, and that's what happened. So it was uh, it was a great series. And they had a, they had a really good team, too. They, they had also finished in last place. But they had a, a good squad, you know, good pitching they had. And they played really good defense. Both teams played really good defense. So um, it, was, uh, it was quite a series. In our conversation today, we, you've talked a lot about being prepared. And throughout your playing career, you always like to be prepared. You do research. How did that dedication to preparation come about? And how did that help you transition to your post-baseball scouting career, which came before the coaching? You know, when you're a part owner of iScout, and you try to do relationships in Japan and, and get contracts there. Well, you know, I mean, being from Boston, you know, 
you're limited. I play, you play 15, 20 games in high school, right? And, and, and you really you get a taste of it. You don't really get to play it as much. But then when you go to college, you know, you, I fell in love with it. You know, I, I, got a, I got a scholarship to go to Miami, and I was a shortstop, switch hitting shortstop. I'm 6'2", you know, 200 pounds or whatever. And, and, and when I go down there the first day, I see five shortstops, all better than me. And I went, oh, my God, what the heck is this? So I don't have any kind of range like that. You know, they could, these guys are so fast and their hands are so quick. And, and so, you know, I felt like I had a lot of catching up to do. But I, I stayed there because I said, you know, I could throw with them for sure and I could hit with them. Uh, so I think I'll stay. And so they moved me over to third base. And, uh, and that's where it started. But but I always felt like I was a little bit behind only because I was, you know, in the cold weather. And, you know, during the wintertime, you know, it's really no place to hit in the snow. Um, and and so that was that was a little tough. But it was just something that, you know, I always had to do. And baseball is, is a game of preparation. I mean, it's you don't know. I mean, you're not in control of the ball. You, you have to anticipate all the time. You have to, uh, you know anticipate where he's going to throw it, what type of pitch he's going to throw, the situation. You don't know where the ball's coming at you if you're in the field. So you always have to be ready for everything. And the one thing about the World Series is, uh, you know, they said, what was it like? And what was the preparation like? And, and you, you know, were you nervous at all? And I said, you know, we were just so prepared for, for anything. You know what I mean? Any kind of weird bounce, any kind of crazy fly ball, it was not, we weren't going to get fooled. And, and that's really preparation. And, and when you're ready for all that stuff, you know, you kind of relax a little bit, <laughs> you know? And, and so for me, that's, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's not the hard work or anything. It's just a relaxing type thing that, you know, it allowed me to play. You spent time after your playing career as a hitting coach for several seasons up until 2019. So obviously you can speak about this because there's still tons of players that you were the hitting instructor for that are still playing in the league. What have you noticed um, in hitters approaches now as compared to when you played and and how was it difficult in trying to change their mindset as an instructor well the difficulty today and and believe it i love coaching and and i really love helping the players it's such a good feeling when they when they when they overcome some of these battles that they have some uh, and when they understand certain things and, and and it gets simplified for them and and you know as a as a coach you it's 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 about what you know first of all but but also it's about creating a language you know there's 25 26 guys on the team i have to create 26 different languages to communicate with everybody and you know it's not it's not always spoken <laughs> you know it could be pictures it could be numbers whatever it might be it's not about what i know it's about how we communicate because in, in, when that happens when you communicate well then you then you develop trust and when you develop that trust that's when you really get in there and you can help someone um and that's when you really have to know your stuff though too <laughs> so uh you know I, I it's a great it was a great feeling um you know and you got to be creative uh enough that these guys will uh, you know trust you and and, and you know you got to give them examples and so you know i'm always you know i'm always learning and, and I've, I've learned actually as a coach also how to communicate with players uh, i learned more about the the, the technique in, in in baseball you know now there's lots of numbers and and things out there which is okay but it's really not for the players. It's it's for something else. <laughs> I don't know. But you know, you really can't communicate that with players. Players don't want to know that. They want it clear. They want it simple. They they want a whole lot of stuff. You know that that's in the way, and they want you to be right. And they and so, anytime I make a suggestion, it's always a suggestion. You know, I have proof for what I want to say to them. And um, 
And, and if you don't have that, then, then why should they believe you? <laughs> you know, because I did the same thing, you know, I mean, you know, you always question, you know, uh, what's coming at you and you, and you have to try to figure it out. And, um, you know, but, but, you know, at the, at the major league level, it's, it's, it's a little more difficult. And what I've found is, is you really have to help these guys clear, you're going to clear their head of all this junk that's in there that's been given to them so far. And some of the craziness that they're, they're, you know, they're not, they're not taught the principles, <laughs> you know, they're, they're taught a, a certain drill, whatever, with a fan or a, a, a pipe, or I don't know what it is, a, a giant beach ball or something like that, which, you know, I don't know what that teaches, but um, you know, yeah, in, in, in the players, there are future coaches. So you have to be able to teach them the right thing, the principles, the fundamental principles of, of, of uh, the learned skills of baseball, whether that's defense, whether it's hitting and pitching or whatever it might be. Uh, Cause we can't teach them that. And what the heck you're teaching them, <laughs> you know, you, you know, you don't want to put band-aids on something that's not really teaching them anything um so and and i and i tell all the players i said look i said my goal is to help you learn so that so that you can teach me i said because if you need me around the whole time then you know forever and ever then i'm a terrible coach <laughs> you know so you, you got to be able to teach them and and um and, and i think that rubs off on on all the players and uh you know i've had a really good experience and had um uh, you know really good success doing that with players uh so far i, I mean i really enjoy it and to follow up what, what Mark was saying, I know at the recent ceremony where the Twins honored the 91 team, uh, you were there with Chili Davis, teammate on the team. And Chili had some success as a hitting coach and several stops. But earlier this year, very early into the season, he's replaced you know, by the Mets because the Mets brass at the time said they felt the players weren't listening to him. And when the Marlins let you go, they said, quote, I think it was time for a new voice. So looking at how badly the Mets have done since they've replaced Chile, uh, it seems like the hitter should have been replaced, not the coach. Did you talk with Chile at all about your experiences on that and looking forward? And, you know, what does it tell you about today's players that, you know, they seem to have two of you from the same era that has sort of the same response, you know, with, with today's players? Are they different? Do they not listen or what's going on there? Yeah, good question. Uh, and yes, I have talked to Chile about that, about both of our situations. And my style, a little bit different than Chile's, but um, but we're both on the same page. We do talk to each other. We teach each other uh, when we play together. Uh, you know, Chile and I are very close. Um, you know, what you don't hear and what you don't know about is, is how the players are calling Chile or calling me, <laughs> even when <laughs> even when we get fired, <laughs> because that happens. And, uh, you know, players will what the heck? The players don't make the choice. You know, it's it's front office that makes the choice, and um, and it's not always the right choice. And whether it's a new voice, I said, I said it's not the voice. You need to keep the voices out of the cage. That's what's messing them up. I said, let me let me have them alone, and, and it's better that way. Um, you know, because you know what Chile knows, what I know. You know, you get that across to a player. It's not it's not very complicated, and um, you know, it, but it does take time. You know, it takes a little while for, for for that trust to set in. And and I always tell the players, look, um, you know, there's mutual respect and there's, you know, we'll develop trust. They said, but right now, don't trust me. So let me earn it. You know, let me earn the trust. And and uh, and I'll I'll I said, just try to see if I know what I'm talking about, see if I'm not watching, you know, all those other things, try to trick me, whatever. I said, you're gonna find that I'm here every day and I'm not leaving. 
And so, you know, that's how it's developed. And, you know, I don't know how it is with the other people. I don't know how much trust is involved, but, you know, people also, players also trust knowledge. <laughs> you know, if they hear, you know, and, and I would ask, you know, I, I would I would try to teach players how to talk to coaches, you know, challenge coaches and ask them certain questions about their fundamentals and all this other stuff. If they can't answer you, then run like hell. <laughs> you know, just turn, turn the switch off, I call it. You know, turn the switch off, smile and go, yeah, okay, sir, uh-huh. And that's it because you know you have to learn something and and once you once they're exposed and they don't know what they're talking about and i'm not saying that the, 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 the mets guy or the marlins guys don't know what they're talking about but but you know that's the case in lots of places we mentioned in the open about your induction into the new york baseball uh, new york state baseball hall of fame you're also a member of the university of miami hall of fame what do those two honors mean to you well uh, you know First in Miami, that was a while back when that happened. And I was, uh, and then the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame, I was f flattered and I was grateful and honored. Um, and guys like, you know, Tino Martinez, Lou Pinella, you know, Gil Hodges and, and Jerry Kuzman, you know, also get inducted. I mean, uh, those are great players, great people. And, um, and, and to have that, uh, you know, have them honor me. It was, uh, I, I was just completely flattered. And, and, um, you know, so I had family out there and, uh, and it was great. It was, it was a, it was a really great, uh, it was a great weekend and, um, you know, it's a good organization and they had to do some nice things. Actually, I had been out there a couple of years before that when, um, when, uh, Gator, uh, Gator was inducted and, um, uh, and also the year before when uh, Billy Martin and Mickey Mantle were also inducted. So, you know, I spoke on behalf of uh, Billy and some some good stories that that, <laughs> that we shared. But, um, you know, I, I mean, it, it's something that I'll never forget. And I was just, it, you know, I was at a, actually at a loss for words. You know, it was um, it was quite an honor and and um, certainly something that always I'll always remember. So, um no, I was just I was just taken back a little bit at first when I found out, but you know, and then being around there, it was uh, it was pretty nice feeling. You're also very active in the Italian American Baseball Foundation, which is committed to developing and promoting youth baseball and softball in the United States and Italy by sponsoring clinics, camps supervised by Major League Baseball players, scouts, and, and college coaches. Can you tell our audience a little bit where they can find out more about the IABF and some of the great upcoming events they have going on? IBF.com. I mean, you know, they have a, it's a great organization. One of the most wonderful things they're doing now is, is they have scholarship uh, uh, fund, which uh, they give them scholarships to play uh, to, you know, students uh, you know, from Italy, from here in the U S in, in college, it's so expensive today. I, I don't know how parents can afford it. I really don't. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really glad we can do that. So we have these events, we have a social at on Long Island. We, you know, they're having a the, uh, golf tournament on the, on the, the 13th, um, you know, and, and those are uh, fundraisers. We have a, a couple other things that they do throughout the year. We usually take a trip to Italy and give clinics um, uh, over there in Italy. We did one on Long Island this, uh, you know, about a month ago. So we, we do many things that's, uh, that's helping out uh, youth baseball, but also relationship, you know, internationally with baseball and, uh, and helping kids get an education. I mean, that's, uh, that's a great thing because there's not a lot of support out there today and, and college is really expensive. So, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I'm, I'm so glad I'm part of it. You know, my heritage, I'm very proud of it. And, uh, and I think we're doing a, a great job so far. So, you know, and they'll have more. I mean, Joe, Joe Kegliani, he's, he, he run, he's, a, he's a madman. He runs all over the place. I don't know how he does it. He probably never sleeps, but he has, he makes great relationships. He's a trusted man. And, uh, you know, he does a great job. So <laughs> I'm happy to be part of it. 
Mike, thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thanks for, for the great work you're doing with the IABF as well as, you know, 700 games, you know, doing the pinstripes proud for sure. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. And my pleasure. The one and only Mike Pagliarulo. We'll be back with the NHL report with Russ Cohn right after this.